Everyone has a story, and I want to prove it with your help. Tell me how you've succeeded or failed. Perhaps how a lesson you've learned along the way could help others. Tell me how technology has played a role. Email me at radio at commando.com. That's radio at com. I'm looking to tell the stories of our lives in future episodes of these Commando on Demand podcasts and also on my national radio show. The dark web. Even if it sounds bad, it's not the internet we use. It's a place where people like crooks and child pornographers hang out. But in reality, some say we've gotten it all wrong. You have to think out of the box on this one. Hey, thanks for listening. I'm Kim Commando. This is the second episode in our in-depth podcast about the dark web. In episode one, we talked about how crooks can take your private information and make it public and about how the bad guys can use the dark web to hide from law enforcement. Now we're talking to a prominent Hollywood documentary and filmmaker who says the media is doing what it does best. They fill our heads with misinformation. We've been spoon-fed a mythological lie by the media. And, you know, to, to not, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, and I think that that's largely to do with money. And that that, you know, creating this sort of hoodie-wearing uh, miscreant, which is what we've kind of gotten from the media and, and many of the stories about technology, you know, even if it's the head of a giant technology company, they're still portrayed as these kind of monsters. Um, and, and that's, I just think, a sexier story to tell. I think that people, that creates drama and it creates this, this boogeyman. Um, but it isn't true. His name, Alex Winter, probably best known for playing Bill Preston in the 1989 film, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. But he's also recently directed the film The Deep Web. Uh, Deep Web is a story uh, documentary that covers the rise and fall of an online black market called the Silk Road, which operated in a hidden area of the Internet called the Darknet. Robert William Albright was found guilty of creating the Silk Road, a digital marketplace for illicit trade, mostly drugs. By all accounts, Albright was a model child growing up. He was an Eagle Scout. He was an honor student. But something happened along the way, as life often does. He took a few turns, and Albright was 26 years old when he was arrested. He's now serving a life sentence after being convicted for money laundering, computer hacking, and conspiracy to traffic narcotics in February 2015. His family and friends are trying to appeal the judge's decision. In the documentary... His mom believes that his conviction is a miscarriage of justice. He's been tried and convicted in the media. Nothing has been proven at all. I don't know what's happened to the presumption of innocence in this country, but it is a constitutional right here that we are innocent until proven guilty. What prompted him to go into the deep web, the dark web? Well, we don't. I don't think anyone's ever going to really 100% know. That's a big, big part of what my film is about. There's an enormous amount about this about Ross that we're just never going to know because Ross, uh, as you said, was this model child, graduate student, physics uh, had a material science graduate, master's degree, um, had never had any history of any kind of of, of acting out um, or criminality. Um, you know, what we do know about him is that he was interested in libertarian philosophy and economics. He was interested in free markets. He was interested in, and we know that he created the Silk Road. We know that much for sure. 
um, and that from his early uh, sort of Facebook and LinkedIn posts, he seemed to be interested in creating a an economic experiment that would allow people to congregate anonymously online. Um, he was convicted of being the Dread Pirate Roberts, which was the username for the, the systems administrator on the, the Silk Road, um, though it was uh, sort of taken at face value from within the, the insiders of the Silk Road, many of whom I know, that there were many Dread Pirate Roberts. That was the whole reason they used that name. It took a lot of people to run that site. So we don't know exactly what Ross did or didn't do beyond uh, his arrest. Um, the, there's a lot of evidence to suggest he was very, very involved with the Silk Road, but it's, it's a sort of a frustrating, enigmatic situation, which again was kind of the motive for making the film was examining these unknowns. The Darknet is an area of the Internet where users can remain anonymous. It was built by the U.S. government. They built it for a reason. They built it so that they'd be able to facilitate communication with each other anonymously, which is extremely necessary both for national security and any other uh, matters of security for not only our government, but governments around the world. There's many governments around the world that require um, anonymous communication. Uh, journalists require anonymous communication. Their sources require anonymous communication. You know, people who want to be able to facilitate any kind of, uh, of communication in the digital space, which now is where we spend a lot of our time, um, are utilizing these technologies. So by no means is it simply used for crime. That's just a juicier sexier story, so it's what's caught on. And despite popular belief, the dark web is not a place where crooks can hide without law enforcement ever finding them. I would say that it's extremely difficult to conduct anonymous crime on, online. Um, I think that if you're doing government work and you're extremely cautious and prudent, absolutely. And also there's various levels of anonymity, right? Um, like I use Tor, which was the service that, that the government uses and that Silk Road uses. I use it in order to, you know, prevent my bank details from being stolen if I'm um, doing online banking. I would always argue that the digital world is no different than the physical world. You have a door in your bathroom for, for privacy. Uh, a lot of these privacy and anonymity tools like the Darknet are like a door in your bathroom. Some of them, uh, of these encryption services, go further, and they become a, a, like a lock on your front door, which, again, most of us use, right? Mm -hmm. Now, some of us get robbed. Some people get through the locks on those doors, and... And they rob our house. Um, and, of course, that can happen in the digital space as well. So it requires prudence. When you were making this documentary, you obviously had to learn a lot about the dark net and the deep web. How did your perception change from when you started the movie to at the end of the documentary? Uh, a lot. I mean, you know, there was a lot that I knew because um, I've been in, in involved in this world for a very long time. Um, and obviously there was a lot I didn't know. I had not been inside the Silk Road. Um, I had been on the Silk Road. I had spent a lot of time uh, reading the forums, which were very, very compelling. But I wasn't inside. I wasn't talking yet before I started the film to the chief architects of the Silk Road, to the people who built the Silk Road, to the primary vendors of the Silk Road. And um, I had, uh, thankfully, um, and somewhat unexpectedly, I ended up with um, uh, unprecedented access to those people. Wow. And, and they surprised me. Um, and this is not a judgment uh, one way or the other. This is really just was just a fact is that I really expected to find more people in terms of vendors and buyers and architects who were really there for drugs. Right. It, it was an, a marketplace, whatever its motivation for, for being created, it really was primarily moving marijuana and some other drugs, certainly hard, harder drugs, but 
statistically, by far, most of what it was selling was marijuana. Um, so I expected to find a lot of mostly people who were there to sell drugs. And the surprise that I found was that that was not the case. At any point, did you feel threatened? No, never. Never, ever, ever. A lot of people have the misconception, especially probably because of people in the media, uh, that anybody who's involved in this is just a dysfunctional computer geek that's living in the basement with his mother upstairs. When in reality, as you mentioned, these are intelligent, educated folks. Yeah, I think it's, you know, we've been spoon-fed a mythological lie by the media. And, you know, to, to... I'm not a conspiracy theorist, and I think that that's largely to do with money and that that, you know, creating this sort of hoodie wearing uh, miscreant, which is what we've kind of gotten from the media and and many of the stories about technology, you know, even if it's the head of a giant technology company, they're still portrayed as these kind of monsters. Um, And and that's, I just think, a sexier story to tell. I think that people, that creates drama and it creates this, this boogeyman. Um, but it isn't true. You can't imagine something like the Silk Road, which is moving a fair amount of product. It's like a small version of Amazon. That's not going to be run by somebody in a hoodie on their laptop in their basement. It's just not possible. It's, you're, it's a business, and it's, and it's a network, and it's a computer network, and it's a community, and that requires an infrastructure, and that requires a lot of people. Alex says the architects of the Silk Road were not financially motivated, and that's important to understand. We'll get to that in a second. But first, do us both a favor. In whatever program you get my free podcast, be sure that you take the extra step to actually subscribe to the Kim Commando podcast. A subscription delivers the podcast right to your device, even if you're sleeping. I love that. And you will, too. Now then, according to Alex, the architects were politically motivated. And he adds, there were people on the Silk Road from every continent and from every walk of life. But they were unified by certain ideals. And those were to use technology to dismantle the drug war, which they saw as uh, both failed and uh, nefarious in the way that it you know, prosecutes mostly minorities as an excuse for you know, felonizing and filling our, our prisons with, again, mostly, with mostly minorities on, on nonviolent drug offenses. They wanted to create a giant anonymous online private community that they felt would be helpful for people to communicate these people were coming from the Occupy movement. They were coming from the activist movements. They were, they were really motivated by, by ideals. And again, you may dislike them. You may think they should all be rounded up and put in prison. That isn't really the point. The point was trying to focus a light on what the actual motives were. The original Silk Road may be long gone, but it certainly hasn't been forgotten. The Silk Road came online in 2011. It was such a success that even before it was shut down, it created hundreds of copycats, hundreds. By the time it was shut down in 2013, there were thousands of copycats, thousands of them. Uh, there were new Silk Roads. The one got shut down, another one got created. The Silk Road got shut down, another one created. There's a Silk Road right now. It's 3.0 or 4.0, whatever, but it's not really pertinent because now there are thousands of these markets. Some of them only focus on drugs. Some of them don't focus on contraband at all. There's a, an online market that operates very much as an outgrowth of the Silk Road called Open Bazaar. It is a decentralized market, meaning unlike Napster, the Silk Road, it doesn't have a central server. It's much harder to shut down. It's more like a torrent or a decentralized technology. Open Bazaar is not that interested in contraband. It's mostly selling all kinds of stuff. Think of Open Bazaar as an anonymous Craigslist. 
and Bitcoin is the currency that changes hands. As Winter points out, it's exactly what the architects of the Silk Road had in mind. Not everybody wants to go on the internet and feed all their information into a service. They would rather have been protected by certain encryption firewalls that keep them anonymous because that's their business, to be private. And that's their right to be private. So if they're not engaged in illegal activity, it's very difficult to argue against that right. Um, so we're going to see more and more and more of these these marketplaces appearing that are that are private or anonymous, that are using darknet technologies. So you've, you've done a documentary about Napster. You've done one about the deep web. What's next? Well, what's next is actually a movie about Frank Zappa. I've always been very, very interested in. And, you know, I am very compelled by characters that I think are, you know, are very alive and awake and and uneasy to unpalatable in some ways, you know, and Sean Fanning was unpalatable to some people while he was, he was a messiah to some and he was the, you know, the opposite. He was a villain to others. Ross Ulbricht, some people, he's been hailed as many things from a libertarian freedom fighter to a sort of Walter White of the internet. Uh, that's why he was compelling to me. Um, Zappa, I would say, is equally, uh, has an equally dualistic um, uh, identity. You know, as far as most people are concerned, some people love him, some people hate him. You know, he was very politically oriented. He was very politically active. He was very witty. He was funny. He was brilliant. He was polarizing. He was anger making. Um, so he's the kind of protagonist that I am drawn to. He's just in a di- very different space than the previous two. Tell us how we can watch the deep web. Uh, it's available anywhere on VOD. I mean, you can watch it on the Epics Network still. If you have Epics, you can go to iTunes, you can go to Hulu, you can go to Vimeo, you can go to Amazon Prime, you know, anywhere on VOD. Um, if you're, if you are, uh, if you want just a quick way to jump to it, just go to our website and we'll send you to all the portals and we're deepwebthemovie.com. Albright, at his sentencing, asked the judge for leniency. He told the judge to leave a small light at the end of the tunnel so he could use it as an excuse to stay healthy. He also admitted creating the Silk Road was a terrible mistake because it ruined his life. Meantime, the government has plans to auction off Albright's personal property, get this, worth a whopping $11 million. So, as we all know, there's a lot of money to be earned on the Internet. I'm Kim Commando. Hey, thanks for listening. You can hear my national radio show on 450 radio stations across the country and internationally on Armed Forces Radio. To find the station nearest you, head over to my website. The address is simple. It's komando.com. This Commando On Demand podcast is brought to you in part by Uber. Change your life by being your own boss. Uber is looking for partner drivers to keep up with their growing demand. Work when you want and enjoy the flexibility you need. Visit drivewithuber.com today. That's drivewithuber.com.